Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. But nonetheless, we are here and we have a job to do. And therefore, the the scripture that we're going to study today lends into how we're going to deal with this crazy world that we're living in. So the the title that I've entitled the message is The Test of Affliction from Sin. And I'll explain that. Israel's now come out of the Exodus they went through the Red Sea, and now they're in the, de- the desert, and now the testing starts happening. So this is God's way of preparing them for the environment they're getting ready to go into, uh, which is the promised land, which is going to be a spiritual war. You and I are already involved in a spiritual war, but I'm going to tell you what, guys. Um, it's not going to lessen. It's going to heat up. They're going to keep turning up the dial more and more and more. That being the case... What you're going to learn today is going to help you in this war. Because people can identify what's happening. That's fine, and that needs to be identified. But people don't know what to do with it. They don't know what to do with that information. They don't know, what, what, is it, what do I do with this in my life? How, how, do I, how do I live my Christianity out in a crazy, evil world like this? Well, this is what you're going to learn from Israel, and what he's teaching Israel is virtually what he's teaching us right now. We're in a wilderness condition, and in this wilderness condition, you're going to see and understand that everything that we do from this point on is not only have to be God-directed, but it's going to have to be God-provided. And you and I are going to have to learn how to relate to God on grace and not relate to God based on law. Now, I'll explain this and I'll flush it out, but I just want to set the stage for it and then we'll apply it. But what you're going to see is that Israel is going to come to the end of themselves. They're not going to know what to do. And instead of turning to God, obviously, they turn to their own resources and when you turn to your own resources to solve problems, that means you're turning to, to away from God, to law, to standards, to different things that how, of how to cope with life. And God does not want you doing that because if you turn to those things, they don't help you. They actually make things worse. So we'll do a brief summary of, of what we, we studied last week when we got to the point where Israel's complaining about not finding water. But then we're going to see God's solution and how God wants us to relate to him, especially in these times, okay? So let's refresh our minds a little bit. Um, And it says in verse 22, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. Now, the wilderness of Shur, we looked at it last week, and it's a a barren place, obviously, in, in Saudi Arabia, and you can see kind of the next few pictures what this place looks like, and we talked a little bit about that. Okay. Why take them there? Why take them to the wilderness into such a harsh condition? Well, it's this. And here's, here's what God is trying to do for them. He's bringing them to the point of, of breaking them. 
he has to break them. He has to break their pride because something's going on inside of Israel that needs to be fixed. And let me explain this. Israel has seen its own salvation. They have been delivered out of Egypt. They went through the Red Sea, and that's, in effect, their baptism, as Paul said. And now they're in the area of uh, sanctification, if you want to call it. And they're being grown into the image that God wants to make them. That being the case, Israel will see that Israel has a lot of bitterness inside their hearts. And the bitterness comes from all the stuff they have went through. The, the, the Egyptian slave, slave and treatment that they, that they went through, the, the treatment that the, um, they saw their babies thrown in water. Um, a lot of what was thrown at Israel will make them have a very bitter heart and a distrustful heart. And so God is trying to bring this out from them. The same is true for us. We go through life, and life gives us a lot of pain. The fall gives us a lot of pain in our lives. People sin against us, and that causes a lot of pain in our life. And then we sin against ourselves. We, we create our own problems. If we don't use God's tools of grace and mercy and the things he affords us to, to get over those things then what starts happening inside of our hearts is a root of bitterness. And we start carrying these roots of bitterness around with us. And God's going to give this example of the water being bitter. The water is representative of their hearts and how God has to, has to uh, create a clean heart in them. Well, that's what the problem is for you and I. So let me show you a picture of a tree. And... You can see the tree. The tree represents you and I. But you can see that the tree has deep roots into the soil. Those roots are caused typically by hurt and pain. And those roots grow deep into our soul. And that's why the writer of Hebrews will say that if you don't access the grace and mercy of God, you will have a root of bitterness. And so these roots start developing inside of us. That being the case then... Satan knows this, and Satan will go after these roots. And he will attack you at the root level. You will think that your life is about the branches and that it's about pruning these branches and about taking care of the branches, but that's what Satan wants you to think. But in the days ahead, Satan is not going to attack you at your branch level. He's going to attack you at your root level. That's where all of this is going. And the issue then for Israel, the issue for us, is that we have to be healed of this, of these hurts so that we don't have roots of bitterness and can be led astray. Israel, in their history, will be led astray by people. They'll be led astray by behavior. And it's because of their roots of bitterness. And... God is going to show you them that, look, the way we're going to fight this war is we've got to get you uh, this stuff out of you. We've got to purge it from you, and I'm the only one that can do it. So let me give you an example in our own lives before we get in so you can kind of grasp what I'm trying to say. Let's say that you were hurt tremendously 
growing up by something. Maybe you lost someone. Maybe you lost something. Uh, maybe something was done to you in a sinful way, and it just scarred and damaged you. At that time, if you didn't access the grace and mercy of God, and basically the way to get healing biblically from that, then you're carrying around what we call a root of bitterness because you have a part inside of you that's not healed. That is where Satan will attack you. He'll attack you on your unhealed parts, which is your roots. And he will, he will manipulate you there. He will guide you. He will direct you, and you won't even know it's happening to you because you're in defensive mode and you're in protect mode and you're trying to protect this hurt. But the more you protect it, the worse you become. And again, you can be saved and have roots of bitterness in you, and you can carry this for the rest of your life. But I can tell you this, the longer you keep the root of bitterness, the more deeper it goes and goes and goes to where the point is you can get to the point where it becomes a physical manifestation in you. What I'm noticing this last year is people are starting to manifest their roots because the pressure is on them, the, the society is getting the, its way, and so they can't, they can't hold it in anymore. It's inside of them, and the root starts coming out. And they need help. They need, they have, they have a lot of pressure on them. They need release. They need all kinds of stuff. And so we're starting to see levels of depression that we have, that are unprecedented. We're starting to see levels of addiction that are unprecedented. We're seeing levels of suicide that's unprecedented because the roots that are in people are starting to get pushed on and they don't know what to do with it. And so they look for outlets, but every outlet they look for is not the solution for them. So, this is Israel, but this is us as well. So, with that being said, God's going to teach them how to get these things out, how to get the bitterness out of them. And then it continues on. Again, this is more refreshing, just to, to, so we can get the setting. And it says, And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter, Right? Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. Now, we talked about that last week, but again, understand this is a physical thing that's happening to them, and it points to their hearts. So the water is bitter, but the water represents their hearts. Their, their hearts are bitter. And, and, and what they're realizing is they come there, they're thirsty, they're being pushed to the point of breaking only to find that the waters, the resources they have found, doesn't work for them. So the spiritual lesson in all of this is God will test you by pushing you to the limit, and that pushing you to the limit will break you, and then when you start looking for your own resources to solve your problem, you will find that you're only finding bitter water. And that that resource can't help you. And so right now, God is pushing Christians and testing them to say, you're going to keep going to your own resources? You're going to keep pushing yourself in a direction that doesn't help you? Is that how you're going to manage life? And so God is going to teach Israel, you can't do this on your own. You're coming up empty. Your resources don't work. And so it, it, that's what God's doing with us. Obviously, 
And, and obviously the, re, the reaction we saw last week from Israel is they start complaining. Look in verse 24. And the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? So they did the wrong thing. They complained. And what they should have done, what they should have done, and you'll see this with Moses, he does the right thing, is they should have said, I've come to the end of myself. I need help. I can't do it on my own. I need help. I can't forgive. I need help. I can't stop the addiction. I need help. But they won't. They just sit there and complain. They just sit there as a victim and they can't get out of the situation. If you get stuck in that mode, the devil is going to have his way with you this next year. Because the heat's ramping up. Okay, so then what's the solution? Well, let's look at that. And I want you to see what Moses does. And this is how we should respond and what God's teaching us and Israel. So verse 25 says this. So he cried out to the Lord. This is Moses. Now, why does Moses do that? Because he's been trained in the desert for 40 years. He also had to learn how to do this. That you don't look to your own resources, you look to God for your resources. So that's instantly what what Moses does. Now understand, it's a physical problem, but it's but it's it's a problem that talks about their spiritual problem. We go to God for our spiritual problems. We don't try to handle our own spiritual problems. We have to go to Him for it. And so that's what Moses has learned, and he realizes that God is the only one that can fix the water. He's the only one that can do this. He has to do a miracle with the water. And so look what it says. And the Lord showed him a tree. The Lord showed him a tree. Very basic. But I want you to see what, what, what the Lord did. So Moses cries out for help. The Hebrew word is, when it says that, that God uh, showed a tree to Moses, it, it, it's not just, I showed him. It's the root word is, he instructed Moses. He told Moses what to do. Notice the pattern. I go to God for the answer, for the solution that I need, instead of my own devices, my own thinking of how I think I should manage life, and I go to God, and he tells me what to do. And the first thing he does is says, Moses, look at the tree. Now, that seems counterintuitive. But the tree is going to be the solution for the water. I mean, that's just so counterintuitive. What is a tree going to do for finding water? See, conventional thinking, a humanistic thinking is this. The water's bad, so I guess what God will probably do for my life is show me another well that has clean or living water. And so the idea is, well, we'll just move to the area where the clean water is. God's saying, no. Look at the tree and then watch what he tells them to do. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. Totally unconventional. So the idea is this. You don't need to move your environment, Israel, to find better water. 
If you come to me with your problems, I can solve the problem in the environment that, that you're in. You don't have to move, per se. You stay there, and I'll fix the problem where you're at. See, a lot of people, when they start having spiritual problems and that root of bitterness, the first thing they want to do is run away from them. They want to run away from the bitterness. They want to run away from those who are coming after them or the ghost of someone that's haunting them, so to speak. And they want to get away and they just say, well, I just got to do this. I got to get, I got to leave my job and get out of that environment. Or I got to leave Bakersfield and get out of that environment. I got to leave my marriage and get out of that environment. I got to leave this place and that's the solution. No, it's not. You will take your bitterness with you. Anywhere you go. And God is saying, stay right there. We'll fix the bitterness this way. But you have to do it how I tell you to do it. If I tell you to look at a tree and then take the tree and throw it in the water, I know it doesn't seem logical to you, but watch what I say and do, and it will solve the problem. What God will suggest to you and I through his scripture is things that seem counterintuitive. For instance, if pornography is the issue, typically people think, oh, I will solve the pornography problem by putting controls on the computer and taking myself off the internet and uh, reading the Bible eight hours a day. You can do that, and that's fine. And you can get some sobriety for a couple months, six months, maybe even a year. I don't know. But you will relapse. You know why? Because you haven't solved the problem. You're fighting a problem with your own devices, with rules and standards that you think are going to make it, are going to solve the problem. But you really don't understand that the problem is in your heart and the problem has to do with rejection. So you can fight pornography on the legal level with law, but it's not going to get out of you. Because it's, it's a root of bitterness that has to do with rejection, and rejection comes from something, probably your mom or dad. That's usually where it's coming from. You were, you were rejected. I give that as an example to show you that Israel thinks they're going to be able to solve their own problems, and they can't. And so God is saying, look, I know this sounds counterintuitive to you, but your addiction comes from your rejection. What? I, what? What are you talking about? I had a great childhood or whatever like that. What are you talking about? And then you just dig a little further and you find the root and it's there. Their parents rejected them. They were rejected very early on or something like that. It could be any, a number of things. A teacher rejected them, a coach rejected them, a church rejected them, a pastor rejected them, whatever it might be. But it all comes down to rejection. When you first tell someone that it's it, it doesn't compute, they're like, I don't, what are you talking about? That's counterintuitive. And God's saying, look, it's a tree, and throw it in the water. So what you're going to have to learn when dealing with God is he's going to suggest to you things that are counterintuitive because you don't know what your roots are. I don't know what my roots are sometimes, and he has to reveal them by taking the wood and throwing it in the water. What does that mean? What what, what does all this symbolize? Well, again, let me, let me bring to your mind a thing about the tree. 
Notice the tree is a theme throughout all the Bible. Have you noticed that? Trees pop up everywhere. There's trees in the Garden of Eden. There's the tree of life. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you're only supposed to eat from the, uh, the, the tree, uh, the, the tree of uh, all the trees except the knowledge of good and evil. And then once they do that, you're, you're, they're barred from eating the tree of life. And then you move further through the scriptures and you will see constant themes of the, of, of wood and trees. Um, you remember Abraham is going to take Isaac and sacrifice him. Do you recall that? And it notes that when they were climbing up the hill of Mount Moriah to where the sacrifice would be, what's on the back of Yitzhak? Remember that? Wood. It's symbolic of the Messiah carrying the wood of the cross to Mount Moriah, right? And then you move on further, and you go into the book of Revelation, and in the New Jerusalem, which is a gem city, there's a piece of wood there. It appears that the only thing that made it from heaven, or sorry, made it from earth to heaven, from the natural world to the spiritual world, is this wood. And this wood is what? The tree of life. The tree of life is the only piece of wood there in the New Jerusalem. Why? It's the theme of the wood. It's the theme of the tree. It's the theme of the cross. The tree of life represents the Messiah. It represents specifically the Messiah's death on the cross. Because in the cross of the Messiah comes spiritual healing. Now, you know this on a salvation level, right? You cannot save yourself. You're, 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 you're polluted. You're sinful, right? Therefore, the Messiah has to do a work for you in order to be saved. And that's basic Christianity 101. You can't save yourself. Great. We know that, but then as Christians, in our walk with him, it's like we totally forget that. And we stop functioning on that principle and we start functioning according to legalism or according to law in order to have spiritual growth, in order to get the bitterness out. Now, again, let me explain this a little bit. There's two ways to relate to God. If you relate to God based on law, I already know what your image of God is. If you relate to God based on his grace, I already know what your image is as well. In the situation where a believer will relate to God based on law, their view of God is he's a taskmaster, that he's very upset with them, they're afraid of him, and uh, they're afraid they're going to mess up. They're walking on eggshells with God. Boy, I better not mess up today. I had a good week this week, but man, I don't know about next week. Because, boy, if I mess up, he's going to zap me. I know he's going to get me. I know he doesn't like me. He says he loves me, but, I know, but he doesn't like me. That's law. And so if they had a good week this week, were they obedient in their minds? Then they feel good with God. But if they have a bad week, then they feel distance from God. That individual is, is relating to God based on law, uh, on law and trying to solve their spiritual problems on their own efforts. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's say 
I don't know, let's say they have a problem with forgiveness. Someone hurt them really bad and it's a root inside of them. They'll say, well, I, I know I gotta forgive, so, you know, today I'm gonna get up and say, I gotta forgive, I gotta forgive, I gotta forgive. Even though it's not working, and they'll try different things. Well, uh, you know, I read a book on forgiveness. I read verses on forgiveness. And I know I should forgive, but I can't forgive. Right. You got it. You can't. That's the point. See, he takes them into the desert to break them, to tell them, you can't solve your problems. I have to solve your problems. So if you say, I can't forgive, great, you're in a good position. So then what are you supposed to do with that? Lord, I can't forgive what this person did to me. I can't let it go. You're going to have to give me the power to forgive them. You see how you went? You, you transfer from you trying to solve it to God giving you the power to do that. Or how about a married couple? This is typically what happens to a married couple and, and that they're, they're on their last thread with each other. And they will say, I don't love them anymore. Okay? It's not grounds for divorce, but I understand. I don't love them anymore. I get that. After 20 years of, of, of nonsense that's been going on in the marriage, people get to that point where they're just emotionally tapped out. I can't do this anymore. I can't do it. I, can't, I don't love them anymore. I just don't even want to be around them. That person is admitting that they have come to the end of themselves, and you're right. You can't love, can you? It's not in you. You don't have the resources. But guess who can? God can love through you so that you can love again. But you have to be willing to accept the grace in order to accept the love and have that love flow through you or allow, allow the forgiveness to flow through you. Otherwise, you're going to sit there and you're in your own resources and devices and you're say, I can't do this. And you're right, you can't. So you can complain, give up, surrender. And when you do that, you're saying that I didn't tap into God's resources. I'm just going to do it on my own. The person, though, on this side that relates to God in grace instead of law relates to him as a father who's for them, who wants them to succeed, that wants them to have victory. And the person understands that in order to overcome spiritual problems, they have to have help from him. And they're constantly going to God for help and, and using the tools and resources that he makes available, whether it's through the body of Christ, his word. Now, notice this. This is very interesting. God makes the water unpolluted, uncorrupted anymore. He heals the water. That's the idea is that he heals the water of the bitterness. It's the idea of healing the heart of its bitterness. But then he comes behind it and says this to Israel. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians." For I am the Lord who heals you. This is Yahweh Rapha. 
the Lord heals you. It's not referring to physical healing. It's referring to spiritual healing. That's what Yahweh Rapha is about. Now, I know the Joy Boys take this verse and they run to town with it saying, look, if you obey, then you'll be healthy and wealthy, and and that's nonsense. It's referring to spiritual healing because that's what the waters represent. Okay, what is this saying? Notice what God did. God says, look, I provided for you. You came to me, Moses. You asked for me. I healed the water. That's my provision. That's my grace. I made the waters clean, and now, after I've made this clean, I'm asking you to continue to follow me in what I say. I need you to be obedient to me. Now, what this is, is it's the balancing of grace and truth. Grace first, I'll give you something that you don't deserve, I'll help you, I'm for you, And then once the relationship is established, then we move to truth. The truth is what God says about the situation. Israel, if you follow my statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you. The idea is none of these diseases has to do with what he put on the Egyptians. Why did God plague the Egyptians? Because of sin. This is why we know he's referring to spiritual healing. He's saying, basically, Israel, now, if you follow my ways and do what I tell you to do, it will bring life to you, not punishment, not, not, not judgment or condemnation. If you just follow what I'm saying to do, we can make this better. We can heal the waters. We can heal the, the bitterness. Now, Notice that you don't reverse the order. You do not reverse the order and give truth first and grace second. That's not how it works. The order has to be grace and then truth because the grace gives you the ability to trust what he is saying. That's why grace in any of your relationships has to come first. So all that being said... If you're struggling with an issue, like we all do, we all have roots in us. We all have these struggles in us. God is saying, okay, come to me. Come to the end of yourself. When you're tired of trying to figure this out for yourself, and come to me, and let's solve the problem my way, not your way anymore. Now, in God's way, like I said before, it's going to be counterintuitive. It's going to be scary. It's going to make you very uncomfortable because you're going to be in the wilderness and you're not going to have your normal resources around you, your sugar sticks that you used to go to. See, the reason Israel always wants to keep going back to to Egypt is that's their sugar stick. That's their comfort. That's where their safe place is. See, right now they're out in the wilderness and that safe place is gone. And it's gone for a reason because of radical amputation. God has to get you and I away from our made-up security that makes us feel good in order to break us. So what you're going to see now, and maybe you experienced this this last year, is God is now starting to break down the security that people built up in their life. Think about this. The big one that we lost this year is the security that we live in in the United States, a free country. 
I want you to think about that. The impact of losing that. Free speech is gone. Uh, censorship is now happening. Our economic system is driving towards Marxism. I want you to think about what you're losing. You're losing those creature comforts that gave you a false sense of security. Why is God doing that? He is breaking you and I away from that to say, I am your only security. You're not going to have this system that you once had. It's gone. Oh. Some people ask, why, why are we not raptured right now? Why, why, why doesn't he just take us home? I'd love that to happen. There's, I've been listing reasons in my head, okay? And I have, I have several, several theories. But one of the theories that I, I have thought about in, in, is this, is that God's obviously getting us ready for eternity. He's getting us ready to take us home. But one of the things he's trying to do is clean up some areas in our life before he takes us home. And the big area that I've seen in Christianity is that Christians in America are too secure in the world. We have had it too good. We have started trusting in our monies, trusting in our finances, trusting in our intelligence. And he's saying, I need that out of you before I get you home. I want to purge that out of you because I need you to learn the lesson that you need to trust me only. Only me. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons why we're going through what we're going through. But, so you look at this and you're saying, okay, I, I, I understand it. Now, we can't fully unpack everything, but there is a difference I hope you see between living according to your standards, your ways of handling life versus God's way, grace and truth. When you obey, what people don't understand is that when you obey the Lord, you're actually setting yourself free. The world doesn't understand that. It seems counterintuitive that, oh, I'm just a slave to God. No, no, no. By being a slave to God, you actually free yourself. You free yourself from all this junk. So God, God calls you to forgive, let's say. Forgive. Do you understand that forgiveness is about getting yourself free from the, from the jail that you put yourself in? That's what it's about. The truth sets you free. And so with all that being said... Once we experience our waters being healed, our heart being healed, what are we supposed to do with it? Is it just for ourselves? That, okay, I'm good now, man. I, 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 went, through, I went through all the process. I got healing. I'm good now. And you just go on with the rest of your life. I want to show you something in the text. And most commentators don't even pick it up, but you have to have a Hebrew mind to pick this up. This is amazing. Look at this. Look at the next passage. Verse 27 says, Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. And so they camped there by the waters. Now, in our Gentile minds, we read that verse and, and we say, Okay. They went to a different location. The water was made whole, and they went to a different location. You're like, Okay, no big deal. To the Hebrew mind, this has symbolic meanings all over the place. Elim is an oasis in the desert in Saudi Arabia. It is there today. You see where the arrows are? The, the circle with the arrow is where the Mara is. 
And then you can see right north of that is a leam in that area of Saudi Arabia. Let's go, let me show you what it looks like on the ground. This is more of a satellite. You see the two wadis that actually come together and they form one wadi that leads out to uh, the Red Sea. There's a, the arrow right there is pointing to this. You see that grove of palm trees there? That's Elim. Okay, let's get a little closer look at this. This is what it looks like today. There are palm trees that still grow there because there are 12 wells that still grow there. And the palm, the, these are canary date palms, very common in Saudi Arabia. But it symbolizes that there's water there, fresh water coming out. And you can see on the ground, and you can even see a well there. They have wells there still. And there's the palm trees, the date palms, they flourish there. And uh, it's still there today. This is where God took them after he heals the waters. He took them to Elim. Now, why? Notice, how many palms are there? Seventy, right? Do you know what seventy symbolizes in the Bible from the Hebraic understanding? It goes back to Genesis chapter 10, and it refers to this table of nations, the 70 nations that come out of the Tower of Babel. When God dispersed the nations, he created 70 nations. So anytime you see the, the term 70, it represents the nations. There's another number. Go back to the original text that we were looking at. How many wells? Twelve? Why twelve? Why not eight? Why not seven? Why not ten? Twelve wells. Why twelve and seventy palm trees? What's going on with the numbers? Twelve, obviously, in the Hebraic understanding, represents perfect government. God was establishing Israel as the perfect government, even though they failed. What did twelve represent? The twelve tribes of Israel. When he started the church, he started with 12 apostles, yeah? 12 is perfect government. 12 in this context represents the children of Israel. What comes out of the well? Water. What kind of water? Fresh water. Mara, but water? No, no, not bitter water. Fresh water comes out of the 12 wells. And what the oasis there in Elim, the water does what to the trees? It waters the 70 palms. Oh, man, you, you, are you catching this? He heals their water and says, this is how I heal you. And I need you now, once I'm preparing you to go into the promised land, to take the message of how to get healing out to the nations. Your job, Israel, is to give them the living water that I gave you to the nations. So that the nations will know that I am Yahweh Rapha. I am the healer of the nations. I am the healer of you and anyone who comes to me, I can heal them spiritually. Isn't that amazing? Now, the same is true for you and I. That's the same application. Once you've got a taste of the healing, 
and you've had the bitterness in your heart healed, you're not just to sit on that. You're to go and help someone else who struggles with the same thing. That's your job now. You are to go to the nations and give that living water out to them. Not just in salvation, but in discipleship. If you have been an addict to alcohol or pornography, and you have overcome through Messiah, and you have had healing in that, your job now is to go help someone else in that area. If you have dealt with unforgiveness and you finally got healing from that, your job is to go help other people who can't forgive. It's the same thing. You have been given. God graciously gives. Therefore, the obligation is you need to pay it forward. You need to give out where that living water is found. And it's only found in Jesus, Yahweh, Rapha. Let's pray. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.